1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each one of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of the gospel who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles, so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Thanks, Karen, for reading for us tonight. Please make sure you keep your Bibles open to uh, page 1835 uh, as we look at this next chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And please remember there'll be a time for questions after the talk. Uh, But before we start, uh, let me commend to you something that you can find in our foyer, this green handout. Uh, This is actually a 1 Thessalonians daily Bible reading guide. Uh, This handout actually breaks down the book down to 20 smaller readings to help you get into 1 Thessalonians on a daily basis. So please pick one of these from the foyer if you think this will be helpful for you. Uh, Before we uh, get into the passage though, uh, will you please join me as I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can meet together tonight around your word. And I pray that you help me now to explain your word clearly. And as we look at this passage, we pray that you will change us, that you will grow us, 
to be the people and the leaders that you want us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Leadership has been a buzzword in our culture for a long time now. Everyone wants to be a leader. That's something our culture aspires to. And even to the point where when we see our own kids bossing other kids around, we don't see that as something to be embarrassed about. No, no, we see that as leadership potential. Uh, Major corporations pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in getting their people into leadership development programs. And there's so many books written on leadership. Uh, The classic book being uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Steve Covey. Uh, It was the one that was given to me when I went to a leadership development program uh, back in my corporate days. And and this guy, Steve Covey, uh, he knew he was on a good thing. Because 15 years later, he writes another book called The Eighth Habit. How to transform yourself from an effective leader to a great leader. But how about the Bible? Is the Bible somewhere where we can go to to think about leadership? Well, the Bible doesn't focus on tips of how to be an effective leader. It doesn't tell you how to structure your day or your week. It doesn't tell you which emails that you should respond to first. But being an effective leader isn't the same as being a good leader. Because being an effective leader, it it isn't the most important thing. Because what happens if you lead people the wrong way? It's been said that the most effective leader in the 20th century was a guy called Adolf Hitler. He was someone who could lead normal people to do extraordinary things, things outside their comfort zone, but things that were absolutely horrible. Yet he could lead them without crushing their conscience. He most probably did all of the seven habits. He most probably have done the eighth as well. But he wasn't a good leader. As I said, the Bible doesn't necessarily tell you how to be an effective leader. But it does tell you how to be a good one. How to lead people somewhere where it is good and not bad. Do you want to lead people? Whether it's in your growth group or at work or at school or in your family. Do you want to lead them well? Well, to be a good leader... You need to lead people where they need to go and to do it in the right way. And we'll see from this passage that it's the gospel that can change us to be that type of leader. So if you're here and you hold a formal leadership position here at church, well, there's going to be some important things for you to think about as you continue your role in growing God's people. But this passage doesn't just apply to Christian leaders. Because what Paul says here about leadership, the things that all Christians should be having in their lives as they follow the model of their leaders. But not to mention, and we saw this last week, we are all in a position of influence over others. Whether we're parents or grandparents, aunties or uncles, or leaders in whatever sphere you're in. 
And so the things that Paul says here to the Thessalonians will apply to all of us tonight. Uh, Tonight we're going to see three main things as we learn three lessons of Paul's model of leadership. And so we'll see firstly his reliance on God, secondly his right motives, and thirdly his relationship with others. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, let me quickly recap the background of this letter. So the Apostle Paul, he's writing to a bunch of new Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And it's a church that he started back when he was just there for three weeks. But in that third week, certain Jewish leaders forced Paul and his friends out of Thessalonica. But the Thessalonian Christians are still going strong. So Paul writes this letter to encourage them to keep going as Christians. And last week we saw that Paul starts off by thanking God of how God has saved these Thessalonians through the gospel. Uh, The gospel being the message of God's offer of forgiveness and eternal life made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. And the thing we saw last week was that the Thessalonians, not only are they being saved by the gospel, but they were changed by the gospel as well. Now in chapter 2, Paul changes the camera angle. And Paul, what he does here, he actually does a flashback as he focuses what he was like when he was with the Thessalonians last. And by doing this flashback, he's reminding the Thessalonians of his model of leadership so that they can help each other grow in their relationship with Jesus. And so the first lesson that we see from Paul is his reliance on God. Now the opponents of Paul would have said to the Thessalonians that Paul was a total failure because Paul only stayed, only lasted for three weeks. But Paul puts the record straight and he reminds them that his time with them wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't a failure because he was bold enough to tell them the gospel despite the opposition he faced. Uh, Please have a look at verses 1 and 2 with me. He says this. This is what Paul says, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now you have to ask the question, what would drive Paul to go through suffering and outrageous treatment in Philippi and then do it all again in Thessalonica? Is he a glutton for punishment? Well, no. You see, the key reason why Paul is able to minister to the Philippians and then minister to the Thessalonians, even though it was hard, the reason why he could do that is that he knows He can't do this by himself. But it's with God he's able to tell the gospel, despite the odds that are against him. And part of Paul's reliance on God is his reliance on the power of God's word. That it's God's word and not him that's doing the work of changing the Thessalonians. Please jump down to verse 13. Please read verse 13 with me. This is what it says. Verse 13. 
And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So because of Paul's reliance on God and because of his reliance on God's word, well, Paul can be bold. Paul could be confident to go forward with sharing the gospel with others, knowing that God will accomplish what he wants to accomplish because God's word is that powerful. So when it comes to us, well, we need to be people that have that same reliance that Paul has on God and on his word to do work in his people. So if you're here and you are a leader, well, like Paul, you can afford to be just as bold and just as confident. Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's not about your gifts. It's not about your skills. That will change people to be more like Jesus. No, it's the same God that Paul relied on. And through you, well, God can do great things in changing people's lives. But the principle is actually the same for all of us, regardless if you are a leader or not. Because at its core, the backbone that enables Paul to do what he does is his proper view on who God is. Knowing that God is the Almighty. Knowing that God is all-powerful. And that it's through his strength and through his word that we all can be used in bringing about change in the lives of others. Now, the second lesson that we see in Paul's leadership model is his right motives. Again, while Paul was out of town, uh, his opponents portrayed Paul as a fake, as a con artist, like one of those TV evangelists who's just in it for the money. But again, Paul sets the record straight. And as he shares with them his true motives for his ministry. Uh, please have a look at verse 3 to 6 with me. He says this, verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Uh, on the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Paul wants to make it really clear. His motives are pure. Now, he didn't resort to tricking them. He didn't resort to buttering them up. But he remained true and honest. Now the thing is, we all don't like con artists. We, we all don't like people who have no integrity, who do things out of selfish motives. I had a friend who was looking to buy a house in Kingsford. Uh, it was a beautiful house, but was going for a really cheap price. And my friend couldn't find out what was wrong with it. It just seemed too good to be true. And you know what the next line of that phrase is, don't you? If it's too good to be true... It probably is. 
And my friend asked the real estate agent all sorts of questions, and the agent was just so nice and friendly. And then my friend asks the question, is this house on the flight path? And the agent said, no. And just as he said that, a plane flew over the top of him, and it was so close, it almost parted his hair down the middle. And then the agent, without blinking and with a gentle smile, said, well, sometimes the wind comes from different directions. And my friend afterwards checked on the internet the flight paths of Sydney, and this house was smack bang on the flight path. It was most probably the house that guided the planes in. <laughs> you know, sometimes people can't be trusted. But Paul's not like that. Now, Paul's someone who's full of integrity and has the right motives for looking out for the interests of others above himself. And the thing that, for Paul, that ensures that he has the right motives, the key thing is he actually knows that it's ultimately he's serving God in everything he does. And it's with that gospel mindset, that gospel framework, Paul isn't trying to please men because he's ultimately looking to please God. For us who are leaders, this is a great reminder for us to be people of integrity, to have unselfish and honest motives. And at the heart of it, it comes down to the fact that we need to make sure that for everything that we do for ministry, in fact, everything that we do for all of life, we're aiming to please God and not trying to win the approval of others. But if you're anything like me, there's something that, well, this may be something that you might find hard because you want to be liked. You want to be accepted. Hey, I, I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. It's a natural thing for people to want that. But to let that be the sole driving, motivating factor for what we do for God or what we do for others. It isn't going to make us good leaders. And it's not how God wants us to be motivated. You know, deep down, there's an underlining issue that feeds that problem. And it boils down to an insecurity of who we are. That for me, the feel good about myself is determined by what people think of me. But from what we see here in Paul, to be the person or to be the leader God wants us to be, we're to go back to the gospel, to who we are in Christ, knowing that God accepts us for who we are and that it's his opinion that matters in the end. And we've got to keep remembering how we're precious to him. That he didn't spare his own son for us so that our sins can be dealt with, so that we can be his. And if we get that right in our heads, then we'll be rescued from that never-ending trap of trying to please everyone else. Because inevitably, that will never happen. Because we can't please everybody. And we'll never be satisfied. And will wallow in despair when it doesn't happen. But having a gospel framework of thinking 
can actually change all that. Where we can actually be that secure person, secured in God's love. And that will be the right foundation for us to be the leader that has the right motives. The third lesson that we see in Paul's leadership model is how he relates to the people he ministers to. Throughout this passage, Paul uses a variety of familial images to show how deep and close his relationship is with these Thessalonians. So we see firstly, verse 7, Paul describes himself as a young child, a person who's not looking to assert his authority, but instead someone who's gentle with them. And then the second part of verse 7, Paul describes himself as a nursing mother who cares for her children, a mother who loves them so much that she will give them what they need. And then verse 12, Paul uses the image of a father, a person who encourages, comforts, and urges others to live lives worthy of God. Three separate images. And all of us can relate to at least one of them. There's no escape. And undergirding all of these word pictures is the fact that Paul has a deep love and a deep concern for these guys. So do you you get the vibe of how close Paul is to these Thessalonians? And what we see, Paul has intensely shared his life with them. He's been so open with them that it's produced such a depth of relationship that there's a platform for real encouragement and real comfort to happen. Now for us, we're no different to Paul and we're no different to the Thessalonians as we too need to foster deep and close relationships with each other to the point where gentle as young children, loving and caring as a mother, or encouraging and comforting as a father. And when you think about it, Relationships like this require a lot of time and effort. They, they, don't, they don't happen overnight. And the big thing for us, you know, being people living in the inner West, generally speaking, we are time poor. And we can get to the point that we get too busy for relationships. Or because of our busyness, uh, we can give up of our time and energy, but only up to a point. Just before it becomes inconvenient. Just before we feel the cost. But what we see here, real love involves real cost. And the gospel is encouraging us to be countercultural, to go outside our comfort zone. We need to make the time to be involved in each other's lives, to be emotionally available for each other, whether that's on a Sunday, whether it's that growth group, or somewhere else during the week. And yet, that will impact our diaries. But just like how God has given up so much for us, well, we too are to be willing to give up for others. And it's when we do that, we'll be able to effectively encourage, comfort, urge each other to live lives worthy of God. Does Paul's relationship with the Thessalonians 
Describe how you see your brothers and sisters here at Abbotsford Presbyterian. What changes do you have to make so that you can be that leader or that brother or that sister that God wants you to be? So where to from here? Well, we've seen tonight Paul's model of leadership among the Thessalonians. And we see it's based on his reliance on God, his unselfish motives, and his deep and intense love for others. Now notice, they're not things you do. They're not things you tick off on a to-do list. No, rather, it's actually a change of your character. It's actually having a different mindset. And this gospel mindset can easily translate to those of us who lead other people, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, or even on the sporting field. In fact, having this gospel mindset will actually affect all our relationships as we rely on God, as we have the right motives, and as we're driven by love. And so what we've seen tonight will actually help us to be leaders in all those other contexts. But the big thing that God's saying to us tonight is that as Christians, whether you're a leader or whether you're not, God calls us to be like Paul, to be shaped by the gospel so that we can help each other, so that we can lead each other, so that we can keep on growing in our relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you sent your Son at great cost to yourself, where he died on the cross for the penalty for our sins. Heavenly Father, we pray for all those who lead among us. We pray you keep shaping them by your gospel, that they may be leaders like how Paul led. Heavenly Father, we pray that your gospel grace will keep changing all of us, so that we will be people who will continue to rely on you for all things, that the gospel will shape our motives, and that, Lord, in turn, help us love others like how you have loved us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, who is our leader. Amen.